Welcome to the SNR Podcast, your travel companion on your journey to high reliability. I'm your host, Salima Ismail. For the first season of the show, we decided to practice what we preach and start with why. We have collected stories from people who have made it their life's passion to bring HRO to healthcare everywhere, and we get to find out why. You will hear about life-changing events that jumpstart the HRO journey and some failures and successes along the way. So without further ado, I bring to you the story of Dr. Alan Frankel, one of the founding partners of Safe and Reliable Healthcare. Dr. Frankel didn't always know he wanted to be in healthcare. I've been looking at various options, English, being a writer, being an artist, and I landed up taking what was called at the time the MMPI, the Minnesota Multiphasic Inventory, which was a test that you took to evaluate how similar you were to different groups of people. It turned out I was very similar to people in healthcare, which in retrospect was rather silly because my father's a physician. So I was trying to think of some combination of being a physician that would still allow me to do my artwork. So I launched into this career in anesthesia, thinking that it would give me time to do what essentially I hope would be two careers. And it worked. Dr. Frankel thrived as an anesthesiologist, but also had time to dedicate to his art. Started off in wood and then moved to stone, and then I developed uh, techniques for cutting cold glass. And then uh, life intervened. Like many doctors, Dr. Frankel found himself getting pulled more and more in administrative duties until something major happened in 1997. Uh, the whole thing blew apart. I was chairman of the pharmacy committee, and uh, we had two moms die within 24 hours of delivering birth. One of the moms was septic. She'd gone home, got ill, got very ill. By the time she came back to the hospital, she was what they call fulminant sepsis. One of my partners ran the code in the MRI unit. I came down to assist, but um, in a couple hours of being in the hospital, she was dead. And on the same day, we had a woman who had a C-section not wake up the next morning. And we never fully understood what happened there. While it's still a mystery, the focus was on overdose of medications, you know, opioids, uh, combinations of fentanyl and Demerol and morphine. And it has to be emphasized here that this is not normal. You don't expect young women who are at the peak of their health coming in to do what is arguably a normal, healthy process of delivering a baby to die as a result of childbirth. And deaths secondary to childbirth are incredibly rare on the order of one in a hundred thousand or less deliveries. So they are unusual, unexpected always warrant evaluation and, you know, to some extent should never occur. So when you have two of them occur in a week, it is a huge big deal. And the effects these deaths had were widespread. It's their families, it's all of the providers who delivered the care, who are, you know, we call them second victims, but uh, they certainly came in to do good work that day, what happened. So there's a certainly a, an emotional undercurrent that exists, but it launched the hospital into a series of investigations by the state and by uh, the Center for Medicare and Medicaid and by the Joint Commission. And the hospital's response to this regulatory pressure was to buy 40% of my time to both evaluate what happened and then to begin to institute some of the changes needed as a result of the assessment. 
it was clear that Dr. Frankel had his work cut out for him. You know, my job was to objectively analyze and understand why when bad things happen, what are the underlying reasons? And then to think about how you make those systems function more effectively. But what I'm always thinking about is, what about the next group of patients who are going to come into the healthcare system? What do we do to most effectively protect them uh, and deliver on ethical responsibility in our mission? But before looking at the big picture, Dr. Frankel did have to find out what was happening at the unit level. So we found, you know, a lot of things. Uh, there was no standardization for how post-operative C-section patients had their pain managed. It was not only physician-dependent, you know, nursing variable too. So there wasn't any standard way in which anesthesia had agreed that they were going to treat C-section patients who had spinals versus epidurals versus general anesthesia. Once the anesthesia practice was done and the care was kind of back to the obstetrician, you know, there were 30 obstetricians and they all had different pain orders. And the one pain medication order that they did have that was standardized didn't really meet best practice. So what Dr. Frankel found were clinical, operational, and team-based issues, and he needed to find a solution. So, you know, we kind of looked and said, well, wait a second, here we're delivering these thousands of babies. The obstetricians know very early on when they have a complex patient coming in. They would know about that for, you know, essentially six or seven months once these women came into their care. Yet the anesthesia department wouldn't know about those sometimes until they got called to come in and treat the patient for, you know, an epidural or a C-section, not only the day, but the hour or the minute that those interventions were required. So I had to ask the question, well, isn't that kind of stupid? If the obstetricians know for months and are preparing around the clinical issues for a complex mom, shouldn't the anesthesia department know about that early on also? So if there are things that we need to think about or train on or reflect on, that we have time to do that before the mothers come into the hospital? The larger implications of what he found was not lost on Dr. Frankel. So you kind of uncover a lot of good people coming in to do good work every day, but with blinders on to their impact on other groups and historical relationships based on historical trends. But Dr. Frankel was able to understand those historical trends and was uniquely positioned as an anesthesiologist to know how to fix them. So in the early 80s, there was an analysis that was actually done looking at terrible events by uh, malpractice insurance companies that turned out to identify some really interesting practices that, if applied to anesthesia, would tend to make anesthesia safer. It's called the Halothane study, and it looked at hundreds of thousands of anesthetics. And as a result of the Halothane study and the insights gained, there were standards developed for anesthesia that rapidly made anesthesia much, much safer. So I watched that unfold. So in the early 90s, the concept of a standardized practice for me was a comfortable one. It just hadn't been applied in many other places to the same degree in healthcare. And when I finished these evaluations and then came back to my peers, essentially, and said, guess what, guys? We as a group are going to sit down and figure out a standard way in which we're going to do spinals and post-operative pain medication or epidurals and post-operative pain medication up in obstetrics. It caused uh, furor. It was unbelievable. 
To some, backlash may seem unreasonable, but Dr. Frankel understood what his colleagues were going through. You know, my anesthesia partners literally all felt that they had the skill and the experience and the right to choose the treatment that they wanted to when they went up to see a patient. And so from their perspective, I was literally getting in the way of their relationship with a patient, limiting their scope of practice in ways that they thought were inappropriate, and undermining their autonomy as capable physicians. And the obstetricians basically felt the same way when we came in and started looking at the way they were managing postoperative pain management. You know, from their perspective, some of these guys had been at it or women had been at it for you know, 30 years. They had practices that were, for them, tried and true, um, worked well. And we were coming in and saying, you know what, 30 obstetricians, one way of giving pain medication. And they were livid, absolutely livid. <laughs> I can still remember it. But despite the resistance Dr. Frankel had to suffer, his push for standardization was the right thing to do and was more prolific than he could even imagine. I just, it is literally mind-numbing to think about how much we need to know, how much we could know to treat patients effectively in 2019 compared to the 80s, 90s. A physician might have had to know 10 or 12 or 15 different treatment options. Now with genomics in the mix, that number of 10 or 12 or 15 is going, has gone up to 2,000 or more. And then when the patients come into hospitals, they're just more complicated. You know, obesity and diabetes just running rampant in the population. So they come in with multifunctional diseases with more options for treatment than the treatments are more effective, but they're more complex to apply. The system's just gotten much, much more complicated. And by the way, we're asked to do more of it in a shorter period of time on a, on a more cost-conscious basis. So it's clear there are a lot of interesting and challenging problems in navigating the complexities of healthcare. But what about Dr. Frankel's original goal, to balance his career with anesthesia and his artwork? I was focusing on anesthesia probably for about oh, 15 years or so. My days were getting familiar. I had some sense of the cases I was going to be doing. Um, they were, I mean, it was always, always challenging in one way but becoming fairly standardized on a day-to-day -day basis for me, or not standardized, but wrote. And so when, when this case broke in 1997, I found that thinking about the issues related to the uh, cases and learning about systems thinking and the concepts was rejuvenating for me. It was really interesting. Uh, nothing that I did in my artwork or as a practicing clinician or an anesthesia quite has quite matched how exciting it is to think about these uh, things that I'd now think about in this world of high reliability. What's interesting is that Dr. Frankel can pinpoint the exact day he decided to wholeheartedly commit to high reliability. January 10th, 2006. I think I just started wearing reading glasses. I always had perfect eyesight, but now I needed to put glasses on to read. And so I found that I needed to put glasses on when I put IVs in patients. I was, I literally, I was standing in a, for the pre-op area at the hospital. And to my right was the chairman of the anesthesia department and a close friend. And to the left was the head of the pain clinic, also an anesthesiologist and a very close friend. And for some reason, all three of us were out in the hall outside of the little cubby where the patients were. And I looked to my right and I saw Jake and I looked to my left and I saw Paul 
And then I looked in and I looked at the patient I was going to take care of. And in my head, I said to myself, you know, Alan, they would be better off if they would be being taken care of by one of them rather than you. And that was it. That was, I don't know, 9, 10 in the morning. And that afternoon, three in the afternoon, I walked into to Jake's office and I said, I quit. I can't do this because ethically, I don't think it's the right thing to do anymore. I've either got to do more anesthesia, which I'm not willing to do, or I have to stop. But it's not like making this choice was something Dr. Frankel took lightly. Quitting anesthesia. I mean, I'll never forget it. That was, boy, that was profound. I mean, you identify yourself as something. Um, and then one day you walk in and you give it up. And that was uh, very powerful. So I had been earning a living my entire life in academic institutions of one sort or another with a full intent of purpose as a guaranteed salary and all of the benefits to go with it. And one day I turned around and walked away and I had no idea whether I could earn an income. <laughs> that was scary. <laughs> and I was trying to earn an income. Uh, in an area that I hadn't trained in. So, yeah, it was like, whoa, that's going to be interesting. And it was and still continues to be interesting. When you hear Dr. Frankel talk about his work, you can tell the passion is still alive. In my heart, I have always been a systems engineer, as it turns out. I didn't know that at the time, but it's the stuff I like to think about. You know, once you begin looking, if you've got this engineering hat on, you land up finding things that may not be related to positive uh, to the event itself, but that are nevertheless suboptimal or defective because complicated systems are complicated to run well. And then there's this whole world of culture, which turned out to be the one I was most interested in, which is what are the dynamics between disciplines, individuals, leaders, teams? How effectively does that group function to ensure the operational processes are optimal that support the best clinical care that's been chosen. You know, and I sometimes ponder, it's kind of interesting thought experiment. It turns out that to get the system to run well, a kind of added benefit to this is that for me personally, is that to get the system to run well, the people participating in it actually need to have joy in work and feel valued and worthwhile. You know, all of these positive attributes that help a system be optimally optimal and excellent. So sometimes I think to myself, well, if it had turned out that in order to get the best care to patients, the people providing care had to be miserable. <laughs> I mean, as a thought experiment, would I then have been as interested to think about how to get the system to run right. And I guess the truth is, I don't know. If it had turned out that that was the case, would I have had as much passion for this field? I'm not sure what the answer is. Uh, the goal for me, obviously, has been patient care, but it turned out that there was a double benefit to this. Yeah, you get to kill two birds. I mean, horrible expression, but you get to kill two birds with one stone. You create a system in which there's joy in work and the patients benefit. It's pretty cool. There's one part of this system we haven't talked about yet, which is strange because it's so important to Dr. Frankel. The system? Lens. Lens is like a child. I'm very proud of it. I want to see it flourish. I want to see it grow up to be an adult. Lens is a digital learning board created by Safe and Reliable Healthcare to give units a voice, provide psychological safety, and create joy in work all in service of increasing patient safety. 
we've now built a technology to support the interventions we do. But the technology that we've built, this lovely little engine called Lens, requires a huge amount of shaping to get it right. In our particular company, that means there's creative concepts that I can think of or others, but they have to be translated by engineers and to, into literally lines of code that then come back as visualizations on a computer screen. And getting them to match what's in my head anyway is really hard. And then, you know, it's not just what's in my head. Then you have to take it out to, you know, to the users. So now we're talking about software development. We've been successful at it, but there are many, many companies that are not. Most are not. So we're on the cutting edge of, of what I know how to do. So what does Dr. Frankel think when he looks towards the future? There's, there's still a huge amount of work to be done. So if you're asking for the next few years what I want, I want a company that is bustling and busy in service of the service that we provide, but particularly I want Lens to grow up and be a really lovely, healthy, attractive, flourishing adult. I don't know. At that point, we'll have to see. I'll either continue doing bits and pieces of this because I like it, or I'll pull out my chisels again or start sculpting. I'm not sure. I haven't thought farther than that quite frankly. <laughs> if you would like to contact Dr. Frankel or have any questions or comments about the show, please email podcast at srh.care. That's all for today. The Safe and Reliable podcast is produced by me, Salima Ismail, with the help of Tyler Small. Our theme song, Happy Music, is produced by MonkeyMan535 from freesound.org. Special thanks to Alan Frankel and Elner Jamal. And an extra special thanks to you for tuning in. See you again soon.